Hark, O mortals! Throughout the ages of the world, called Rixia, the potency and prevalence of magic has waxed and waned. Empires, monsters, and discovery all have risen and fallen alongside it. But throughout those ages, great heroes and villains have remained. More than 200 years ago, an immortal and tyrannical group of sorcerous warlords known as the Pentarchy were at the height of their power. The fall of their empire seemed impossible until the fall of something else, one of Rixia's twin sons. This celestial catastrophe destroyed the Pentarchy's capital and brought with it the scourge of the Ultra Giants. These colossal titans emerged into this world mysteriously, bringing with them decades of ice and flame. Where they walked, disaster followed, destroying the great cities of mortals across the globe. Residents of nomad tribes and citadels alike sought shelter in what hidden corners of the world they could find. That is, until the Ultra Giants disappeared, seemingly as mysteriously and suddenly as they came. And societies emerged, reclaiming old traditions and founding new ones. They found a world both similar and different than the one they retreated from, filled with new dangers, landscapes, and power structures. And in the sky, they found the Twin Suns restored. Now, our heroes are among the first generation of mortals born into this new old world. While livable, the areas outside of well-guarded cities are largely still dangerous and filled with unnaturally powerful, supernatural phenomena, monsters, and worse. This heroic quartet is a recently hired batch of professional adventurers and problem solvers for the Golden Tree, an ancient and recently revitalized adventuring guild. For some, confronting the weird is the best way to get the answers they seek or prove what needs proving. But all do whatever it takes to get the job done because they know no one else can or will. Few choose this life, but if they are strong enough, brave enough, and lucky enough, those heroic or greedy, few, can enrich themselves beyond their wildest dreams. Welcome to the world of Reckless Attack. Hi there, listeners. My name is Nathan Lurz, and I am the peerless, fearless dungeon master of the Dungeons & Dragons homebrew 5th edition podcast, Reckless Attack. We are just a group of diverse friends here in Chicago who love playing our home game so much that we decided to start a whole new one and share it with you guys. We plan to have a game with a healthy mix of wilderness exploration, Monster of the Week, character downtime, a big overarching plot, all the good stuff that you want in your D&D game. I will formally introduce you all to our intrepid adventurers and radiant players here in just a minute. 
But if you are a listener who isn't familiar with tabletop role-playing games or wants to know more about the ins and outs of each character or to know what house rules we're using or just, you know, wants to hear us do more japes and such before getting into the meat and potatoes of our episodes, I encourage you to listen to our trailer if you haven't already and our behind-the-screen episodes, which should already be available in your feeds. Anyway, again, that's enough from me, Nathan, the DM. Let's just go around and do a quick, you know, hey, who's who? Starting with the person on my left. Hi, I'm Sophie, and this will be my third Dungeons & Dragons campaign. And actually, that's a lie. I have played one campaign of Pathfinder. And next to her. Hello. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan, and Dungeons & Dragons is a great game. It is, really is. Isn't that right? Isn't it? Hi, everyone. My name's David, and I agree. Dungeons & Dragons is a great game. Uh, we as a group have actually been playing for four years now. Surprisingly, we just yeah. Had yeah. Our, we just had our anniversary yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple weeks true. ago, and I cannot remember when it was because it was so long ago. And also, <laughs> we're recording this not to immediately date it, but we are recording it during COVID, and that really blurs a lot of timelines. But go ahead, David. Yep, that's all I got. Oh, I guess that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, everyone. The only other one. Uh, my name is uh, Steve Horowitz, and I am... I guess the longest running playing D and D person sitting here. There's no, uh, I guess. In the yeah. 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 You have a story. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So I've I've been playing for I think just over th- just around 35 years. Um, Jeez. I mean, so I I, hate I really to say this, but you've been playing D and D longer than everyone you know, else. The table's been alive. Yeah. I wasn't going to yeah. say it, yeah. but it, that is true. Yes. Yeah. So I I am apologizing in advance if I suddenly remember a rule wrong and it's from like. Second edition. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get. Or, don't we'll apologize. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, those histor- historic tidbits. Right. Yeah, and worst case scenario, we'll edit and post. You know, yeah, that's, that's true. That's or the just glory. change five e like whatever. If, yeah, yeah, if we could, now. if Homebrew, we could baby. edit it so that just I'm always right, that yeah. would be fantastic. Um, <laughs> anyway, 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 let's get into some adventuring. Why don't we? We find our party on a blazingly hot summer day traveling in one of the dozens, if not more, uh, wagons in a now common great caravan on one of the Pentarchy's old runic roads. You guys have already been traveling for many days from your chapter headquarters in the desert scholar city of Rachma. You guys know that the adventuring guilder's journey is nearly over, for you are only a few days out from your destination Agmar, sometimes known as the Red City. This is your first official posting together after many months of training and tutoring, and it represents an opportunity as interesting as it is auspicious because the vacancy that you are in the midst of traveling to fill was made when the last Golden Tree Guilders stationed there never returned from a job outside of the city's Red Walls. Though the now old protective magic on the runic roads keeps them clear of magical overgrowth and some of the other dangers faced in the wild, the party acts as part of the caravan's guard while they're kind of among it. And again, you guys are all riding, marching, or otherwise ambulating somewhere in the middle of a long line facing west into Rixia's setting twin suns. The sounds of wagon wheels clattering join the chirps and songs of insects and other wildlife. It would smell of summer, where a long trail of sweaty, 
tired mortals not proceed and succeed you. You know, long days of marching is not necessarily like a great time for smells. Our camera zooms in on your part of the caravan as it clicks and clatters along. Um, Sophie, could you please describe your character, what they're doing, how they're passing their time during the this particular stretch of a fairly long, fairly dull journey? So you find Valeska Carter walking right next to the wagon, and she she's like walking but leaning on it because in her hand is a book, and she's using the wagon to kind of guide her straight while she can walk and read at the same time. And she would be reading Giant 101, How to Speak <laughs> the Language of the Ultras, because in any downtime she has, she needs to be reading or working on something new to learn. Excellent. Excellent. David, what about you? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I, thought I, ha- I thought I had a whole other person before this. No. So I imagine that there are other people on this caravan, too. Other people driving it, people loading things. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you kind of have your own little wagon that's specifically kind of like your wagon. Yeah. It's actually being driven by another one of your pseudo guild members uh, by the name of Etris. But then again, there are tons of other wagons and groups and families and individuals all up and down each kind of doing their own thing together. Gotcha. Kaskarin Brightmane is a middle-aged dwarf who is sitting up front by Etris, the person driving this caravan. And he is having a good old time cracking jokes and just chit-chatting with Etris. Kaskarin is dressed in a loose-fitting tunic, some knee-length shorts, and he is currently barefooted since it's so hot out. He's a rather squat bulky guy and is just having a good time up front excellent steve yes tell me about what your whole character's situation deal thing is so on the wagon that we are kind of a part of perched on the back of it and keeping an eye out just in general is a very tall silver dragonborn whose name is selv asterlin his scales are, are kind of like a mixture of silver and white his hair is also kind of a mixture of silver and white, and he actually does have a tail. He is wearing the gi from his monastery, which is a mixture of, of red and gold, and he has his staff set in front of him crosswise, and he's just looking around, and periodically throughout the day, as kind of word has spread that there is a dragonborn, there are children that approach, and they come up at first rather shyly. And then they kind of scream out, do it again, do it again. While Selv has, uh, he's, he projects this calmness. You could see him occasionally sigh and close his eyes. And then he'll turn back around and he'll puff out the side of his mouth a bit of frost. And so there's actually a cold condensation that kind of shows up off the side. Then there's the, the cheer of, yay! And then they run <laughs> off. And then a few hours later, come back, do it again, do it again. And so even though he's he's outwardly may seem somewhat annoyed. He also kind of enjoys it. Last but not least, Jonathan, tell me about who you got. Absolutely. So let me just set the scene here because at the table, I'm wearing a costume and the costume is a large frog hat. Yes, it is. Which It is immaculate and wonderful. Which we'll soon find out is sort of the running theme for what's about to happen. So (laughs) I'm going to break this into two parts because there's two characters really. 
At the back of the wagon is a large, maybe four foot tall green tree frog with his head just kind of sticking out of the back of the wagon. And you could see every so often this long frog tongue just sort of jumping out and trying to catch the various bugs hanging out around the back of the wagon. And he's just sort of lazily doing that. It's like he's not even trying to actually catch them. He's more just having fun snapping his tongue out to try and get something. Doing frog stuff. Doing frog stuff. And then on top of the wagon, I'm assuming that the trees around the runic road are close enough so that, you know, I could basically you see a small, tiny green frog leap out from one of the trees onto the top of the caravan. And this is just a regular little frog. But quickly following behind that is this smallish size blue frog wearing leather, a leather kilt and a large fur cloak <laughs> jump out of the trees and hop onto the top of the wagon and try to snatch the frog from the top of the caravan, missing just barely. Ah, almost had him this time. Wait up, Junior. And the frogs leap off of the top of the caravan into the, another set of trees, and you just hear a small rustle as they disappear. And and who who are we all talking to? We are talking to the pair of frogs, Checkers, who is the main blue frog, and his frog pal Mango, who is the uh, green tree frog hanging out in the back of the, the large, wagon. The larger boy. The larger boy. The large boy. And Junior, the small green tree frog, hanging out also Just on the top. Russian nesting dolls. Of frogs. Stackable frogs. Stackable frogs. Yes. So that is my character. Checkers. Oh, a froggish Borg. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not already on board with the campaign, I don't know what mm-hmm. to tell you. Like, get get it together. So again, sitting next to uh, sitting next to Kaskarin. Oh, it's so weird starting a new campaign and having to like remember <laughs> remember names different names yeah. and stuff is so uh, is I'm gonna mess it up for forever. Luckily, I have it all written out. Up in front, driving your wagon is the Golden Tree Potion Smith, Etris Pensempre. He is a fellow guildmate of yours, and he is absolutely covered in small belts and buckles. He is wearing. Multiple satchels, kind of Indiana Jones style, uh, but doubled. He has this wild and crazy blonde hair and is uh, still relatively young, actually. And he has a big burn across a portion of his face, but is absolutely always in good humor and smiling as much as humanly possible, essentially. He has been sent with you guys to brew potions, be a researcher, a scholar, and just kind of generally support your adventures as needed. And uh, again, he is there talking with Cass, and they're telling jokes and and all that stuff. And he's just, uh, well, you know, uh, and then you know what he said to him, Cass? Do you know what he said? What did he say to a mattress? Well, I forget, but it was very (laughs) funny, I assure you. Uh, And he takes a big swig out of his uh, one of his potion vials. From behind him, just... <laughs> yep, this is you. you. From, the, from the side of the wagon, you hear Val chuckle a little bit. It's <laughs> like, even though she knows there was probably a good story on there, Etris is pretty cool. Yeah. What a jokester. And, ooh, another important question that I did not hear in this portion. One of the other things that you picked up in your months of training, other than your potion smith, was a teeny tiny little donkey, a baby donkey, in fact who is not pulling your wagon because they are too small. It is, again, a tiny donkey who was rescued from the clutches of some spider people in your last training session in Rachma. And it has these two, uh, notably, it has these two tiny little nubbins growing from its shoulder blades. 
which will someday maybe be wings or not or whatever. Uh, but right now it is just a cute, tiny little donkey baby whom you love. Alternatively, it could be spider legs. Could be spider legs. <laughs> no, Why did you get out of here? It cost you get. nothing to not say that. I'm gonna, hold on. Uh, don't please ignore we've, me reaching for my notebook. <laughs> we've we found the donkey specifically donkey in our spider cave with spider, with spider people. Don't. What else could we reasonably expect? No, tiny nubbins are gonna be beautiful wings. You should. Our precious sweet boy slash girl. I'm not sure yet. Do we know what this? We are, you had homework. Do you know what this donkey's name is? And what and what they're doing? Where are they? Is someone carrying them? Are they in the wagon? I forgot they... they couldn't fly yet, so I was assuming they were flying. But no, like, with self, but no. Nope. Yeah. So I believe we have settled on on a name. Are we? Are yep. we going with? There's uh, a lot of discussion before the recording. No, I'm good. We're that. going with Hody. Yep. Okay. So the the donkey's name is Hody. 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 Yeah. And is it a boy donkey? That's a good question. I think a boy donkey makes sense. Boy donkey. Uh, Hody. No. Okay. I'm just like, I, girl donkey? Yeah, I feel like we have a lot of boy things. That's true. Well, right? that's your fault, though. That's yeah, because yeah. you have, you are a stack of yeah, boy you frogs. Count for okay. three frogs. That's so. true. Okay, that's fine. But, uh, fair enough. Okay, so so birth gender assigned female, and then the donkey can decide later. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Miss Hody. Yes. Hody, the the donkey. Uh, and, and who is washing over Hody? Because, uh, again, she is just a tiny, small, precious child. Uh, once we rescued Hody from the clutches of the spider people and yes. got back to Rachma, Val would have, before leaving, rushed to her mom and the illustrious Atheum and been like, I have adopted a donkey pegasus. You must tell me <laughs> everything you know about taking care of them. And they didn't know anything, but they're researching it and going to send Val a letter. Some updates. But they were like, here's how you take care of a donkey. So Val has like a feeding schedule, a whole diet planned out. Excellent. Um, it's taking you know, her responsibility care. very seriously. Yeah. Are those organic whole, grains? Absolutely. Uh, there's Only a the whole journal of just like a hoodie, uh like what they do in a day. She's taking measurements all the time to see how they're growing. Yep. Making little check marks in her mm-hmm. daily schedule of when Hody pooped. Yep. You know, absolutely. making sure it's good. All the good, all the stuff that There's we all as dog owners know. There's a lot of descriptions about poop in that journal. Yeah. I will say, so as Checkers is seeing this, he's going to sort of look at you, Val, and say, I don't know why you're going through all this effort. I mean, I raised Mango off of a bunch of bugs and he turned out just fine. Mango licks his eye, <laughs> staring at you. Yeah, you know, just want to be sure. Uh, that seems a bit much to me, but all, all right, Val, you do you. You know, Checkers, <laughs> we've been training together for a couple of months now, and, uh, you know, we have very different styles. And I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing. And I'm going to continue to write in this journal. <laughs> About all of it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Val has like Make, 50 journals. Right. Yeah, I, I, also, I also imagine that after any interaction between Valeska and anyone, specifically us, but anyone else, right. she goes to her journal and makes notes about the person she just talked to. You don't and, know it's in Val's journal. Yeah, so don't I'm, worry I'm, about I'm, it. I'm imagining that. <laughs> As this is all happening, you know, kind of suddenly uh, up ahead of you guys a little while, you hear a voice call out, uh, pulling over for fresh water. 
alongside the runic road, uh, you see a clearing with a, a small but seemingly pretty clear body of water. You guys have maybe passed a couple of these every once in a while or streams, that kind of stuff. And while most people come provisioned, few people say no to some fresh, cool water, especially on a day as hot as it is. You already see, you know, several wagons and walkers that are, you know, kind of filing in to and from, using it to refill canteens, cool off. And the caravan's not really stopping, but it seems as though the pace is as if kind of everyone's taking this little detour so you're not no one's at risk of getting left behind or anything along those lines so uh do you guys pull over or use the opportunity to you know keep things moving uh and you know get further up in the caravan or or what do you guys do val would absolutely make sure everything's restocked she'd probably ask self or cast to help Mm -hmm. if checkers is flying by at the time she'd probably (laughs) ask him too but i know he's Thousand up and down the trees. Uh, yeah, Kaskrin would absolutely take the opportunity, every opportunity to take a well-earned break. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he needs to stretch his legs, grab a drink, cool off And Val bit. would be like, one of us does have to take Hoti to the stream for some fresh water. Kaskrin will... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and then hands you a big old bucket. I'm, I'm, imagining, ah, no. I'm imagining like a clipboard that's like the Hoti like chore <laughs> list. And it's like, but, you know, but, at this time, at this time, and it's just all Val. Just <laughs> every one of them is Val. Except for except for a few things, which is like, was like, mm. oh, uh, you know, what was the consistency? Self, go check. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's a scientist. Val's not afraid of it. Yeah. She's... She is very much Laura Dern from Jurassic Park. Yes. Just... So full full arm in a pile of Right. And she would, of course, put on a big plastic sleeve ahead of time. Yeah. But she will do it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Checkers would like to take this opportunity now that we're close to clear, fresh water to refill his giant barrel of water. So he and Mango travel. Essentially, Mango has a giant saddle with a big barrel of water attached to it. And Checkers would, with the help of Mango, bring this barrel up to the water and use one of his cantrips, Shape Water, to shape the water from the... the first glimpse of, uh-huh. a, of a character class right. other than <laughs> Steve having a bunch of a gi and a <laughs> quarterstaff. Don't yeah, worry about yeah. it. So what this looks like is, you know, Checkers is sort of squatting next to this pool of water, sort of waving his hands around, and some of the water is sort of almost levitating off of the pool of water, and streaming its way into the open barrel at this point. And uh, that's that's also uh, about when Selv approaches, and he just kind of looks over at uh, at Checkers, cheater, and then <laughs> dives into the water. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that, because just as you hit the water, Selv, there's a an awkward pause where you hear the splash of Selv kind of jumping in, and then... A much larger splash. Uh, and, and by splash, I mean more of like a rush of water and some sort of inhuman roar, I guess, is kind of more what I was I was kind of going for. Because from out of the depths of this small little water outcropping emerge a pair of near identical horrible looking monsters. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just here for some water, man. right? These I'll, large creatures. I brought Hody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't put yep. Hody in danger. Well, you know, I guess it's hero time because these large creatures look. Um, what's the best way to describe them? A little bit like lobsters. Oh my god! But lobsters who were spawned from the pits of hell. Um, so they Excuse have. Me? 
these small beady eyes that leer out at you. And beneath those eyes, a mess of tentacles where a mouth should be. Each of them have this thick carapace covering their 11 foot long body that kind of stretches out to a strange tail. They have strange alien legs that are kind of lifting them up near upright. And these giant pincher claws that are reaching out, not towards you guys necessarily, but towards some other hapless traveler. Before a shout from that person who's being targeted can even escape from their throat, the shadow is upon them. But luckily for this person, there are guilders nearby who are not so easily taken off guard. One of the two takes off past you into the road itself, attacking another group of people. And there's already a couple, you know, you can already see a couple people reaching for spears and clearly are going to be somehow dealing with this. And you are clearly also faced with this other monster. So here's how we're going to do this. Uh, As you guys know, but for the benefit of the listeners, we love a good tactical by the book, potentially dangerous combat around these parts. But for this one, let's let's do a little cinematic theater of the mind type encounter for some nice heroic flavor. I tie a pony very quick to the nearest tree. <laughs> you run <laughs> to a tree line. Yep. Uh, and then I will rush forward at the one who is charging past, cast the cantripped mind sliver at it. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And no, no damage, no rolls, whatever. Just what happens? Basically, you see this crystalline shard shoot forth from Val's hand, and it darts and it like weaves in and out past to its target and drives like right at the base of where a lobster's skull. Would yeah, yeah, be. I get that. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it do lobsters make noise? Oh, well, this one certainly does. Okay. It's making some it, very it bad a, a clicks, shriek. clacks, shrieks, kind of grunts like, ha, I mean, the tentacles are clacking. It's not, none of it's good. It's all yeah. bad. Uh, so it's cool. It's like a, like Guardians of the Galaxy, like the Yondu yeah. arrow thing mm-hmm. that's just kind of like flitting around and then just cool right into the back of the neck. Yes. Cool. Uh, who, who else jumps into action? What do they do? So Kaskarin has been like getting the steel pail. He's got like the shovel and he's just been uh, next to Hody, you know, shoveling poop. Uh, <laughs> he hears the roar from the lake and just looks back there and just says, Mango! Checkers! <laughs> As like a second thought and runs towards the two lobsters that have emerged. He's got pale in yeah, one, there's one hand. There's one who's much closer yeah. to you, basically. Yeah. He's got pale in one hand, and then on, in his other hand, he raises his arms and, much like Valeska, throws a golden light javelin almost that materializes and just flings its way towards the lobster that's close by, uh, hitting it in the, the torso and then evaporating. Cool. So it hits this thing and it reels back again. It was it was reaching out for whatever this hapless villager is. You've probably even maybe talked to this traveler. You know, they were kind of right, you know, not too far up from you and reaching and clearly about to do something not good to this person. But you slams into them this beam of light and it is taken aback. Self underwater. Yes, it kind of <laughs> kind of it erupts out of the water with that look of, um, well, that was refreshing. And then looking around goes, <laughs> Yeah, this has been about three seconds yeah. for you. And then just you went in, nice and cool and, and placid water, and you emerge, 
Oh, God. Oh, look, chaos. Yeah. <laughs> um, Self would, would move towards the lobster-type creature that was threatening any of the caravan and will, with his staff out, interpose himself in between the lobster creature and any of the, the civilians. He'll just say, hoping that the lobster will <laughs> understands and will do it. Retreat now, and I let you go. This thing, again, is like trying to get at whatever strange thing that Val just put into its back and is unable to reach it like a weird lobster. And I am going to uh, have my staff ready to knock any incoming tentacles or claws out of the way. Excellent. And yeah, so it like stops and then looks down at you, clearly undeterred, but focused on you. And then what? what is Mango yeah. and Checkers and I suppose Junior, what are they all up yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. So Checkers would say, Mango, get back. This, this isn't your time yet. And Checkers, Mango is going to retreat back to the caravan. Um, Checkers is seeing this large lobster thing sort of move towards Selv in an attempt to get at the tasty, you know, caravan people behind him. Um, he is in his native element right now. Checkers is, and he's going to begin casting a spell. But he's going to sort of move his arms around. You can see some of the water in front of him begin to sort of uh, roil and sort of collect. Yeah, cool. Um, and as this lobster is. Mi- just charging towards Selv, trying to get at him, a huge burst of water erupts from where Checkers is at. It's like this 25-foot wave of water that just crashes into the lobster and knocks it 10 feet away, sort of out of the path of Selv, and it begins just twisting and turning and sort of collapsing onto the ground. Cool. So yeah, it's like, it's definitely has like, again, turns its attention to Selv and is about to reach out to the dragonborn and clearly do some damage, even though Selv is resolute Re- ready. Uh, standing to it and then just slam huge thing of water just knocks it 10 feet away from you so told you <laughs> <laughs> the one who's still at the water's edge Cass you can see that it is you know it certainly got distracted a little bit and looks over towards you and charges up to you and takes this one of its huge claws not even bothering to try and grab you just to try and slam down onto the earth right where you're standing Kaskrin reaches his hand to a nearby boulder at the clearing that we're at. Mm-hmm. And from the stone, pulls out a shield-like shape, molding it to his arm. As the claw comes down, he bashes away the claw with his newly formed stone shield. Awesome. And then with the other hand, bashes the lobster across the head with a pail. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. It is certainly like... It blocks it and then is embroiled in this battle fury rage of just like it's going to slam and grab and rip and tear. And then you just like smack it in the face with a pail. And it's almost like confused. Because <laughs> is that all you got? <laughs> Where it's like it was ready to just fucking go. And then it's like taken aback by you just like slapping it in the face, which I'm extremely here for. With the poop pail. Exactly. <laughs> and, Selv, you see the one that is kind of by you that was threatening the caravan. You see it pick itself up and walk around and kind of ride its feet. And you see some of the other travelers nearby grab pitchforks, grab some short swords, that kind of thing. You know, kind of just start to react a, at least a little bit towards this. But you see it get itself up and it eyes around looking for the source of this crazy water thing that just beat the shit out of it. What do you do? Selv keeps himself interposed between it and the majority of of the caravan and says, you can retreat at any time. And then he smacks him a couple times with his staff. 
Yeah, it just, just starts to, just just starts ba- basically like going around the legs and uh, and arms, just trying to the chinks in the up. armor, basically yeah, of like yeah. trying to hit all yeah, the places like where the, where, it's where the little little openings the are, are. Yeah, where the joints are. One of those he does thrust out with his with a quarterstaff, and it actually goes directly into one of those chinks in the uh, in the carapace. Just for a moment, the the creature reels back yeah. and and just doesn't and seems to uh, be like. Let's call it stunned. <laughs> you could tell like it's where self hit it. Like that arm has kind of locked up and he's having trouble moving it. Oh, I love that. Where you like crammed your staff in to a point yeah, where like, like it can't move because of its strange it, it, alien musculature. Yeah, exactly. And stuff. Exactly. So the, the staff seems to be like wedged in there and preventing it from fully moving. If the the rest of the caravan wants to take advantage of that. That's that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. That like these people, there are again a lot of families and that kind of stuff. But they have lived in this world long enough to know that they have to react quickly. There's certainly other guards, maybe even some other people who are starting. You can see are starting to react kind of behind you guys. But even the people who are close by are throwing rocks and that kind of stuff and are relatively quick to action. Especially now that you've kind of clearly opened up something for them. Uh, Val, what do you do? You see both of them. You see Cass is up next to one of them, uh, smacking around with a pail. You see another one is you kind of being like rope-a-doped by Selv. You see a tiny baby donkey uh, tied up behind you. What do you do? Seeing that Selv and Checkers are kind of uh, tag-teaming the one farther away, that will continue running towards the stream and go to the one up to Cass. As she's running... She kind of grabs her her holy symbol of the illustrious Atheum and then quickly loops it off her neck and kind of like smashes her into her palm and then like drags it across and shoots out this brilliant stream of light that's like this beautiful like light blue yeah. color and it with a ridiculous speed <laughs> drives into the side of the lobster that is engaged with Cass, and so she will cast Guiding Bolt. Awesome. And you see it, like, blows off a piece of its exoskeletal armor, and you can tell, like, ooh, that made a big opening. And Cass, you see this happen, too. You know that, like, okay, cool. I might be able to capitalize on that here in just a moment. Uh, But before that, Checkers, what are you up to? Absolutely. So seeing this other lobster creature kind of get, starting to get swarmed around by the the people of the caravan, by selves, sort of keeping it from moving around, do I get a sense that this thing is afraid or is it angry or what is the general vibe of this so it is is like many of the monsters of this world um, where they are almost hyper-aggressive animals. I see. Um, You know, not rabid dog is a little bit easy, but almost, like, nonsensically aggressive. Okay. Uh, Some, you know, certainly sometimes they'll retreat, but a lot of times they won't, and sometimes it seems like they're there just to murder. Like, it makes no evolutionary sense for some of them, and this is a clear example of one of those chaotic monsters that just erupt and that kind of thing. Okay. So even as it is struggling, even it is outnumbered, it is clearly still filled with malice and intent to do harm. Sounds good. So as it's distracted, Checkers is going to move closer towards this lobster thing and leap up onto its head now that it has an opening. He's going to try and grab onto to the sort of eye stalks that are coming off of this thing and just grab onto them just like, yeah! <laughs> 
as checkers, the small frogman is left on top of the lobster and is trying to just corral it or, you know, sort of steer it away from the others. Cool. And this is the one by the caravan, correct? Yes, that's correct. The one cool. that Selv has uh, masterfully stunned. Or Excellent. <laughs> slowed down. Cass, again, you see, like, an opening has been made here. And you think that, like, if I hit him just right, I can end this fight. And I thought I'd have to fight this thing myself. Kaskrin takes the pail in his hand and throws it to the side. In that same fluid motion, he makes a a strong fist, and the pail stops in midair. He rears back with his hand and flings the pail telekinetically towards the lobster, casting catapult. The pail crumples against the lobster's head, (laughs) dealing massive damage. (laughs) This lobster is rendered unconscious from just the sheer impact of this metal bucket. It actually, again, it cracks the carapace of this thing as you run up, keep our bobbing, darting, weaving. And again, you you knew to capitalize exactly on that moment, exactly in that way. And it does not go unconscious. It is slain. You hit it just hard enough and just the right way where there's a crack right on kind of its gross, buggish forehead that spreads and you can see it just kind of wobble a little bit, making one last inhuman noise and then collapse down into the water. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. David here with The Mid-Roll. We hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. If you want more of the Reckless Attack crew, come join the community on Discord. The link is in the show notes of the episode and on our website, recklessattack.com. If you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where you can get access to our behind-the-screen talkback series, as well as our new series, Reckless A Snack, where we eat snacks and chat about the question of the day. As always, if you like the show, be sure to tell a friend about it too. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the episode. Val, you see this happen, and you see that there is still one being kind of like steered and jockeyed by two of your guild members. What do you do? She had been like running full sprint towards Cass, and she t- she kind of like slides and like kind of does like a sliding tackle because she can't stop in what I'm assuming is kind of muddy, wet grass. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so we'll then just like do that horrible soccer football drill where you have to do like a push-up and then start running <laughs> full sprint again back towards self and checkers, sea checkers riding this thing. And it's just like, what is happening? I mean, okay. I- again, and claws are like still reaching back, trying to get at the strange little frog man but it just can't quite have the flexibility to get to him. She not probably being able to get super close to it will, again, grab her holy symbol and just kind of whisper to her herself, like, may you find the truths you seek and cast sacred flame. It is still that brilliant blue mm-hmm. color, but instead of like a crystalline shard, it is just like a little small fireball that shoots out from her hand and finds its target. Excellent. And like hits it. And again, 
much in the same way as you clearly hit a impactful blow that takes its attention and leaves an opening for your teammates. Selve and Checkers, you guys see this happening. You know that you have a moment. What do either of the two of you do? Selve actually pulls the quarterstaff a little bit closer to him and pulls the, the lobster creature a little bit closer and then puts his back to him and spins around. He pulls on his quarterstaff, freeing it, and right at the same time, his tail sweeps the legs of the lobster, and it kind of sends it tipping over backwards, but not quite falling. And Checkers is going to take this opportunity to leap off of it and sort of do a quick acrobatic roll away from the lobster, just in time to see the lobster fall from Selv's attack. Excellent. And uh, first of all, good, good combo. Second, uh, <laughs> you, you certainly would have another uh, an opportunity to roll off mm-hmm. and then strike one more time. Again, you see that this thing is totally helpless. As this lobster is sort of being thrashed around by Selv and is on the brink of falling over, Checkers sees it teetering and is going to conjure up a rock. This is the cantrip Magic Stone. And the rock doesn't look like a normal rock. It looks like sort of this smooth pond rock with a small frog face scrawled on it in crayon. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just going to hurl it at the side of this lobster's head, sort of giving it the momentum that it needs to fall over on its side, cracking the exoskeleton, and hopefully keeping the thing down. Yes. And again, you hit this thing and just bam, there's a big crack and a thud as this thing once again falls down all around you guys, you see a couple brave members of the caravan. Most are staying back, but a couple even run up with like a spear or something and like give it another prod or something like that to make sure that it's down. But you all as experienced uh, guilders, monster hunters and adventurers know that you have dispatched both of these creatures relatively quickly. Within a few moments, again, you see some other guard uh, guards kind of run up do a similar kind of look around, make sure everyone's okay. There's a lot of, you know, kind of chatter that kind of comes up of people ask, oh, are you okay? Uh, people checking on children, that kind of thing. The braying of a uh, a lonely baby donkey off to the side. And uh, eventually you see a, a very hardy looking dwarf jog up to you guys from seemingly way up, you know, into the caravan. He has a, you know, some kind of natural, like, russet skin color, which is made even deeper uh, with kind of the hours that he spends out on the trails. He's carrying a pike and shield, has a big, bushy dwarven beard and and huge, bushy eyebrows uh, and a bald head that cover most of his face, kind of save for a big scar running from uh, lip to uh, his left eye or almost to his left eye. And you know this is Branar Bronze Mace. Uh, he is one of the two main trail masters uh, here on this particular caravan. Uh, he's a member of the Caravan Guild because these things have to be pretty well organized, all things considered. And he looks over at you guys and walks over and approaches. I would like to note that Val would have been like, everybody okay? You good? You good? Well, walking like pretty swiftly backwards towards Hoti, like, you're good? You good? You need me? And she'll like take a step forward if someone's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe. Oh, you're good? Nope. Okay. All right. <laughs> Still going back to my donkey. Checkers would pick up a nearby stick and just go over and begin to poke the dead lobster in the head. And he just spends like a good two minutes doing that. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, you dead? You dead? All right. All right. Good. And, and that 
is why Checkers is a survivor. He makes sure. Um, <laughs> the double tap. And uh, so again, Branar comes up. Branar Bronze Mace comes up uh, and just says, oh, well done. Um, these damn roads are getting weaker every time we go by. I'm sure of it. But I even checked that place out myself. I'm I'm so sorry. I thought it was totally clear. It must have been a cave or some nonsense under there. Branar, that was too close. We got to be more careful next time. He extends his hand and is like, uh, yeah, so again, Brenner, sorry, what was, uh, I recognize you, you're uh, some guilders. Uh, he looks down at your, you know, kind of the pin insignia that is uh, presumably on your chest. Uh, your guilders. Um, it's all right. We're with the golden tree. Okay. My name's Kaskrin, Selv, Valeska, and Checkers. Selv kind of gives a bow. Um, well, he says, well, uh, we, we appreciate it. Uh, again, I know you guys were uh, hired to do this job, but doesn't mean that I don't appreciate when it's done well. He kind of looks around and sees people picking up, you know, even in the short commotion, there was a lot of wagons that have been disrupted, that kind of thing. And he, uh, he looks around and he's like, all right, um, uh, now seems as good a time as any to take a break for the night. Suns are going down. We'll make sure to post a guard around this, um, water here. And you hear voices, uh, you know, kind of going in all directions, uh, saying, uh, we're pulling over, pulling over, pulling over. And he says, uh, again, well, th- thank you all again. I, uh, you know, I always like a good, reputable gilder when we're out on the runic roads as much as possible. And uh, let us know if you need anything. Uh, we'll make sure to get you, get you and everyone else back on the way. Once everything has calmed down. That will take kind of Hody back to the wagon and she will pull out a third and different journal and then go up to the dead lobsters and start drawing them and sketching them and poking around with them and just like basically starting to study and do uh, probably equivalent to like an autopsy, but mostly seeing like how they work and she might see if she can get Checker's help like cracking it open. Yeah. And Etris is there too. He didn't have quite the time to react in the last battle, um, but he uh, he comes down and is like, oh, well, well, do you know what these things are? It looks like it's kind of, you know, like a weird little crawfish kind of deal, but much bigger. It's not how they make them back home. And, uh, you know, and he's like, he's there also just like he will be happy to help just like aggressively crack <laughs> this thing open yeah. and also be looking with you for any not just information, but of course, any useful biles or visceras or what mm-hmm. have yous for his his less savory brews. You know, you yeah. just know that they mostly work and you don't ask too many questions that you aren't ready for the answer for. Val uh, might not agree with his version of the scientific method, but yeah, you he's know, a, he gets results. Get your hands dirty to maybe a an aggressive degree. <laughs> he really relishes the opportunity to do so. so but um, while they're doing that, Selv is going to, well, he'll help kind of set up for the night. Mm-hmm. And then he takes out a flute and kind of begins playing. It's something that you've seen him do a bunch of times in the evening. Although this time you get the impression it is to partially cover up the sound of cracking shell and <laughs> and squishing uh, insides yeah. moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and everyone's and giving squelching. you plenty yeah. of birth, kind of like a finders keepers dibs kind of thing where it's like okay they're clearly doing some stuff over there and so everyone's happy to give you the birth and certainly appreciates the flute music that's lightly drowning things out 
And Checkers would be the first person to try and answer the question, should we really be eating these monsters? Yep. The answer is yes. Because (laughs) as this autopsy is going on, he's definitely like cracked open one of the claws and it's just like, hmm. (laughs) Don't forget to try it cooked for science purposes, Checkers. Mm. Well, that wasn't bad, but maybe if I try a different part. (laughs) (laughs) Some dark meat. Kaskarin is actually going with Brainar and some of the other watch to check the perimeter of the lake, make sure that the clearing is actually secure for the night. Uh, yeah. And he's like going around saying like, you know, double check that tent stake and, uh, you know, make sure you, you keep an eye on the tree line over there. There could be something coming from that direction. And it's yeah. kind of just giving some some tips. Yeah, perfect. And and you all, you've got the feeling kind of throughout that like this is a pretty reputable, well-run caravan but it's big. There's a lot of people going in and yeah, out. There's a lot of space to cover. A lot of space to cover. And there's only kind of so much you can do out in the wilderness, even with the kind of mysterious protections of the runic roads. And so it's very, uh, there's always opportunities to shore up things, to work together, to, you know, kind of plot things out based on the individual trains and that kind of stuff. Uh, Val would definitely ask if Checkers is exhibiting any symptoms of food poisoning after eating. Very, monsters. I think that's very wise. Or oh, food poisoning, or worse. Yes, yeah. you know, just double checking. I feel like part of the night, she Checkers and Etrus would probably be talking over all of their their findings. Uh-huh. Uh, it didn't really taste that good, but I don't feel bad. Maybe you should try it. Val will like cook it, and, <sighs> and she will try like some of like the. Meat. Uh, Self will come up to Valeska and, uh, without too many details, what did you find out about those creatures? I feel like this is something that Self has had to clarify several times when he's asked <laughs> Val a question. Could have boundaries. Yeah. Because Val would have just reiterated, like, the probably at least hour long conversation she, Checkers, and Etrus just had <laughs> and would have started basically using her journal as a PowerPoint to tell Selv every single detail <laughs> about this lobster thing. But because he knows not to, <laughs> to tell her to keep it short. Yep. Uh, Kaskrin would have gotten here during the very start of the conversation about the lobsters. And then like after hearing you guys just going back and forth super fast and all just going over his head, he leaves and just goes to brush Hody for a good <laughs> while. And he comes back like, so can we eat them? Yes. Kaskrin, you'll be fine. I don't have your constitution. <laughs> he, he, like, goes to the take, like, a couple resilience. of, like, you know, grabs a couple bits of lobster that's been harvested from these creatures mm-hmm. and starts putting them on, like, a stick, making a couple of those yeah. lobster kebabs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic. Valeska will tell Selv. Yeah, they they probably do interact just like their smaller counterparts of a crawfish where there's probably some type of underground burrow or cave in that water source and when we were all there we disturbed it so there could be more of them there could be but we've been here for a while i don't necessarily expect them we're gonna take watch but i would like to note there was a very large adrenal gland which probably (laughs) indicates the reasoning behind their bloodthirsty rage it's real big, y'all. It's great. I love it. And yeah, like, uh, Edris Edris probably is has literally it. <laughs> just still sitting on the wagon and hanging out. And yeah, he's like literally holding the adrenal gland in <laughs> one of his hands. You want to see it? It's real interesting texture. I'm not going to say it's a good texture, but it is interesting. 
Oh, and you should have smelt it when we first picked it up. I, so, I, I think Cody needs another this. brushing. Do you want to see? So, thank you for the information. <laughs> you guys, as and, always, oh, please note I have at least fifty pages more of it. So uh, noted. <laughs> and um, then self will mm-hmm. bow and go. I guess take round two of brushing Hody. <laughs> Hody, as far as this donkey is concerned, can never be brushed enough. The merriment continues. You eat some mixture of weird crawfish, lobster, creature, or field rations, depending on how, uh, you're, think, how self, lucky you're feeling. I think will go with the field rations. That was um, kind of the vibe I was getting. You guys are settling down for the night. I'll ask the very first question of every good D&D campaign. What's the order you guys are taking watches? Kaskarin can take the first watch and he's helped set up some of the perimeter already. He kind of knows what to look for, so he's perfectly fine taking that first shift. Cool. Excellent. Number two? Val can go. Yeah, I'll take third. Okay, uh, Selva go last. So everyone beds down for the night. These are long days, and you have had many long days on top of the excitement of being attacked by weird crawfish people. Cass, what does it look like when you are on watch? Are you out walking around? Are you hunkering down to your guys' kind of specific wagon? Are you keeping an eye on the on the water? What are you doing? Previously, Kaskrin did not have a chance to put his armor on. You know, they were just kind of relaxing yeah. in the hot sun. But now that he is officially on watch, he has his heavy male armor yeah. on him. Cool. He has his two-handed maul just kind of in a holster on his back. He is, you know, ready for battle at a moment's notice. He is actually taking a patrol around the perimeter of this, of this camp. He's uh, walking around, partly to make sure that there's nothing out there, partly to also check on the guards that are watching. You know, make sure yeah, none of them cool. are slacking off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and and you, both from having traveled in this particular caravan and be fairly world savvy, relatively speaking, a lot of them are in your situation where you're like, okay. I have military or, or armed training or whatever skills, and I'd like a discount on my caravan fee. <laughs> so, sure, I'll work for you for however long it takes me to get there. You know, kind of bolstering the ranks of the few kind of full-time guards that are there. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely see a... No one's, like, useless. I don't need their A game, but I do need their, like, C to B game exactly. after we've already had a scare today. You see a couple, like... C minus depends on what kind of grading bell curve that you're doing, but are you dispensing bits and bobbles of like stand up straight? Yeah, what, I was like, yeah, what hey, are you doing? Up and at him, soldier. And I kind of like nudge one that seems to be nodding off a little bit after a long day in the caravan. And I, I you know, stand in front of him. I put my hand on his shoulder. Listen up, son. There are families behind you counting on you to keep them safe. You have to be on your best behavior. And if you can't keep your eyes open, I'm going to have to take you off and find someone else who can do your job. He, like, looks like you totally took him by surprise. <laughs> He's just like, not only was he, was this person nodding off, but also it's like, whoa, this dude is taking it very seriously. But, oh, he is, he is correct. So he, the, I'm not the, mad, son. I'm just disappointed. Oh, and oh, it's just, you can see it's heartbreak just a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm. I'm sorry. Long day. Long day. I just, We're I just almost there. And it's right, soldier. And Everyone has them. Yeah, yeah. And he, you see him stand up a little bit straighter. 
And so as you are walking around, not straying too far, but trying to just shore up this little area, you are someone who is very familiar with patrols and with watches and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird moment where, like, no one is around. And it's not isolated or supernatural. It's just this weird moment in time that your trained eye and sense is just like, wait a second, am I the only one? Huh? And like, everyone's looking a bunch of different ways. And just on the outskirts of your dark vision, you see a quick glint of metal. And you see a smallish humanoid woman standing there just on the outskirts of your vision and she's kind of hard to make out she seems like she blends in with the trees she has this greenish dark brown skin and this strange flowing hair that you can't quite it's not natural but you can't quite figure out what it is and you realize that glint that you saw is it's like she's wearing some sort of semi-ornate dress made out of little small circles of something. This whatever it is creature, person, mortal, monster you don't know, looks at you and you immediately have a like that weird moment where two people across a room Mm -hmm. make direct eye contact and know they're looking at each other. This thing reaches out its hand and beckons you in. You feel a supernatural push. But it's not its not one that sets your adventuring or your gilder senses off, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not like, oh, God, I'm being mind-controlled. Right. But what this is is a supernatural push that you have felt a couple of times but very rarely, and you haven't felt kind of this strongly in a little while. I, at this point, you know, I'm, I make a connection with her, and I am, like, trying to almost... Part of me is, like, trying to say, excuse me, miss, are you lost? Part of me is trying to raise the alarm, but those words just get stuck in my throat as I am transfixed. It is as if your patron, who you know to be the Eternal Citadel is suggesting or influencing you or something. You're being voluntold. That you are, yeah. you are being, <laughs> that is perfect. You're being voluntold to walk into the woods. I try to take one last look to the camp to see the lights to make sure everything's okay, but I, you know, at this point I can't even turn my head. It's just one step in front of the other towards this woman. And as Cass walks into the woods and fades from the light of the fires and torches. Anyone who was watching would see, ah, then the patrols have come back. No big deal, almost like on schedule. And Cass fades into the forest, quickly swallowed up by the darkness. And that's where we'll end our episode for this week, everyone. Cass, no! Do I die in the first episode? Is that Happy what happens? first episode, everyone. <laughs> no, but you, you come back as a doppelganger. Right, yeah. <laughs> Keep listening. We'll see you all next week on Reckless Attack. Woo!